Hello, my friend. Welcome to Something for Everybody, the podcast to help those who listen feel more loved and connected through story sharing. My name is Aaron Mashbitz, and my mission is to help you realize your potential and capabilities through conversations and deep insights so you can make your prior best your new baseline. Alex Oberly joins the podcast today. Alex is a former teammate of mine at South Dakota State University, but now currently works as a financial advisor for Morgan Stanley. And Alex helps us break down how he became so mentally tough, what it's like to be a brand new dad, and how we can all become more financially literate. This episode is brought to you by Amare. Amare is the mental wellness company, and I use their products daily. So click the link in the show notes and use the code everybody at checkout for $10 off your entire order. Now, on to episode 155 of Something for Everybody with Alex Oberly. Hello, my friend. Welcome to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashbitz. Alex, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks, Aaron. Good to see you. It's great to see you. And I <clears throat> want to bring you on the show for a couple reasons. One, because it's nice to see your face. It's great to talk to you. I miss you. Um, we have very busy lives, but hopefully we can see each other in person soon. And one is to, to talk about what you do for work. But there's just like one question that I really want to ask you. And I'll ask it in a second. I've been wanting to ask you this question since like 2011, maybe. <laughs> so that's a long time that I've been thinking about this. Spring break 2011. Uh, before we get to, what's that? Spring break 2011. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we won't go there on, on this show, but maybe, uh, yeah, another time. But before I ask you that very important question, I want to ask you like this question is, how are you doing? Like, really, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Doing well. You know, we... Uh... Uh, my wife and I, we had a a baby a year and a half ago, so life has definitely changed for us, but we've definitely adapted and it's, um, you know, it's, it's super busy. Um, and it's interesting to see how life changes once you have a kid, uh, just the activities, who you hang around, what you do, how much more efficient you become with your time. So our schedules are packed, but, um, we're definitely hitting our stride. And uh, things are going well. Amazing. Yeah, I want to ask you about being a father and how that's changed your life. But the question I've been wanting to ask you since 2011 is, okay, so I guess I'll, I'll bring some context into the situation is that we were teammates together at South Dakota State University, for anyone that was wondering. And Alex was a senior when I was a freshman. And one thing that's always stuck with me is how well the seniors on the team like welcomed me onto the team. Like it was a, it's a huge transition in your life when you go from a, like a little high school kid to being a freshman in college at a division one university. And there's a lot of nerves with that. And so I just always felt like really comfortable around you guys. And it was a lot due to part to you, Alex and to Spinar, who's been on the show a couple of times, just like making me feel like I was worthy and part of the team. And so I w- I've always wanted to thank you for that. I don't know if I ever have. So like, thank you. It's like not a small thing now that I'm like really 
reflective on my life. But outside of that, every time I like went to the field or tried to get in some extra reps or was like, like driving by the field, I always saw you out there on the field, like not with anyone else, not during practice, like outside of these random times, you would just be fucking getting after it. And yeah. that stuck with me. It stuck with me like, okay, if Alex is going to, he's a senior, everyone on the team like trusts him to do the thing that he needs to do. And he's putting in all this extra work and extra reps. And your senior year, it's not like you were, you threw the ball the hardest of anyone on the team. We had guys who threw harder than you. But everyone wanted you to pitch in the big games. And I always wondered why that was. And then I thought about it. It's like, oh, it's because he has a, an absolute dog mentality. Like, he doesn't give a fuck. He's going to go out there and he's going to do the absolute best job he can no matter who he's facing. And so my question with all that lead up is to how did you develop that sort of mentality, that work ethic? Where is it from? Um, obviously, I'm, I'm sure you still have it now. But just talk to me about that. Yeah, well, thanks. I appreciate that. Um, you know, I think it's, it, it, it's a good question. I never really thought about like, where did I develop this? Um, I think I, I had that same mentality and that same approach to anything I do in life. I think I always want to be the best. Um, I don't know if it's a trying to be a perfectionist because I think, um, you know, we all make mistakes and, and you got to understand that you're never going to be perfect, but you always want to give it your best in whatever you do. And I, de I definitely have this you could say chip on my shoulder or dog mentality. Um, I always want to win. Right. And I think whatever you do in life, um, that's going to take you pretty far, whether it's work, uh, your personal life, your family life, sports. Um, so I always wanted to win. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I was never the most athletic. I was never the strongest. I was never, never through the hardest, but, um, definitely wanted to put in my effort. And I always think about, I guess like every day, like if I look back at the day, right? Like, did I give it my all? Like, did I, did I use my time effectively? Did I do the best that I could do? And not every day is like that. I mean, there are some days where I look back and I'm like, geez, I definitely could have done more. Definitely could have utilized my time better. Or maybe not uh, talk to people as much or, you know, gone on the internet as much. Um, so I think just, just looking at every single day and thinking about, Hey, what can I do today to, to maximize my potential? And, and, um, and reach my goals. And again, um, whether that's goals for, you know, um, working out goals for your, your personal life goals for your professional life. Uh, I think everybody has to have goals. And, um, I set goals for myself every year and, um, you know, I, I do the best that I can to achieve them. How do you think about those goals? If you are to fall short, you know, I don't get too caught up in it because um, at the end of the day, like, you know, what, whatever's happens, happened. You just got to look, keep looking forward. So uh, sometimes you do fall short of your goals. And I think about more from a professional standpoint, um, I just have pretty high expectations for myself. Um, and yeah, sometimes I do fall short, but I think about, okay, what can I do better? How can I change things? I'm always thinking about, you know, I guess in my business, like what are others doing to be successful? what's working, what's not, and trying to identify what's not working and say, okay, let's make some changes. And let's not, let's not have too much pride um, in, in kind of beating our head against the wall and doing the same thing over and over if it's not working. Um, from a family perspective, you know, always thinking about how can I, uh, you know, spend the most time with my family, maybe be a better husband, be a better father, um, which is hard, definitely hard. But, 
you know, trying to make adjustments and listening to those around you to say, Hey, are there things I could be doing differently? Um, and there certainly is. Um, so that's kind of how I judge myself, I guess. I'm sure <clears throat> this, this skill that you've acquired over time, this mentality, this work ethic is something that you want to pass on to your, your kid. Um, do you have any idea on how you might be able to do that over time? Yeah. And I think that's probably the hardest thing. Um, because the, what, what you've come to realize just in this short amount of time that he's been around is it's hard to not step in and want to do things for him. Like for mm. example, if he's eating food, right, he's not at the stage where he can take a fork and a spoon and just eat it all by himself. Like sometimes he needs help. But if you're just sitting there and spoon feeding him, this is a great analogy, right? If you're just spoon feeding him his food. He's never going to learn. Right. And so just letting him, uh, letting him learn and do things on his own and make mistakes, I think is, is the way he's going to learn, um, and not giving him everything. Right. And I think that's a big challenge, especially in this area where we live in, where a lot of kids, you know, and families, they have the nicest of everything and give their kids whatever they want. Um, I think that's going to be a big challenge. Mm. Yeah. Cause I've been thinking about that a lot. Like how, how do you try and give your best to the, your kids so they, they can kids, they can succeed, but not giving them everything where they don't feel like they have to work for anything because it's always given to them. Yeah. Absolutely. Like I think about it like with college, right? Like I, I paid my way through college. I paid for community college. I was lucky enough to get a, a partial scholarship at South Dakota state. So I paid for some of my school, but still had to take out personal loans and, and worked and saved money. Um, I think what that did is that that really encouraged me to get a job right after school. Like I had to start working, I had to start making money. And, um, you know, if you, pay for everything for your child, right? You, you send them to the best university, you send them to private school their whole life, you um, kind of just have an open wallet for everything, then there's no incentive for them to work for it, right? And so there's like a, a balancing act because at the same time, you don't want to saddle your kid with a ton of you know debt when they come out of college, right? And that, that's like one of the biggest obstacles um, that people have is like, how do you, how do you uh, enable them and not disable them uh, from a financial standpoint, right? I think that's where that's where sports come into play and can be so crucial as a sort of vehicle. Like we played baseball, right? That was our, our chosen sport, right? We both fell in love with it. But baseball is not a sport where you just pick up a bat, a glove, and a ball, and you're like, oh, I'm good at it. This is nice. Like it's – no, it's like 10, 15 years of grinding, work ethic, like tweaking this, tweaking that. I mean – I went to high school in Texas, you went to in California, and we both made our way to South Dakota. Like we were from two absolutely gigantic states where there's tons of good baseball, and we only had the chance to go to South Dakota State, right? And we took that opportunity. And that's just about sort of being humble and also playing with a chip on your shoulder, but knowing that you love the game so much, you've, you've grown and developed this passion for it. But if you know if everything has been given to you and handed to you, then you're going to look at South Dakota State being like, mm, nah. It's no, I'd rather just whatever yeah. go to school and kind of fuck off for four years instead of taking the opportunity to be like, I can make the absolute most out of this opportunity 
And it ended up being, for me personally, you know, some of the best 40 years of my entire life. Um, and I met amazing people that, you know, <laughs> I'm going to cherish forever, like I said at the top of this episode. And so that's why I think sports, we have to encourage sports, not encourage you to become a professional athlete because that's very rare, but to like actually give something a try for a long period of time where you can see growth and you can see yourself fall down and have to pick yourself back up and have a game where you gave up 12 runs, but you have to pitch the next week because that's just who you are and that's what your teammates expect from you and that's who you expect from yourself. And then the same and then that easily translate into the workforce or into relationships or into whatever you do with the rest of your life. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, sports in, in general, you know, it's, it's kind of these are games of failure, especially baseball, right? I mean, if you're like they always say, right, if you hit 300, seven out of 10 times you get out, right? You failed. It's a game of failure. And I think you have to overcome that. And and it, it definitely teaches you a lot of life lessons. I mean, I find myself, it's really interesting. I think the what I've come to realize is like the, a lot of the most successful people in business uh, are folks that played sports because they, and they mm -hmm. developed this, they obviously developed a work ethic, but they also had to overcome failures. Right. And that I think is really powerful. So I totally agree with you. I think um, sports teach you more than anything, a lot of life lessons also how to be on a team, right. And how to work mm -hmm. with people, work with different types of people. People that may not come from your same background, I think that's really unique. Um, so there's a lot to be to, to gain from from sports, especially you know growing up. And you're right, you don't have to be a professional athlete. I mean, let's face it, like I mean, we know the percentages, right? Most people aren't going to be a professional athlete, but and do something that you love and you enjoy, and um, you'll you'll learn a lot from it. Yeah, the the teammate aspect and being sort of being able to cooperate and negotiate and work with people is extremely valuable. Like I played with a bunch of different guys for four years in, at South Dakota State, but I played on a bunch of different teams, you know, my whole life, same as you, right? And there was lots of guys that I didn't like actually like. Mm -hmm. And I mean that in like not in a bad way, but like I wouldn't ask every single person that I ever played with to like go to a movie or grab a beer or like hang out one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. Cause that's like, that's like really personal time, like to hang out with someone one-on-one, -on -one. but I have no problem hanging out with them on the team, but I still have this mutual respect for them because they're doing the same hard thing that I'm doing. And so there's a, there's a respect no matter what. Now, maybe we don't like the same thing. So I don't want to hang out with them one-on-one -on -one like, like you and I did uh, a lot. Right. But there's a still ability to work together. And I trust that person when he gets on the field to do his job because we've built this mutual respect out of doing this hard thing together. And so I think people get confused with having to like everyone or having everyone have to like you instead of building a cooperative, like mutual respect for one another. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you're, you're not going to like everyone, right? Not everyone's going to like you, but that's the challenge is trying to figure out how to work together, right? And how to work on a team uh, and, and blend all of those personalities together to make the team you know, maximize its potential. So it's uh, in sports, it's the same thing, right? Um, especially in baseball where you have such a big team, right? You have nine players on the field, you have people on the bench, like a lot of people play a role and you're not going to get along with everyone. But if you can figure out how to work together, the team can go a long way. Absolutely. <clears throat> What's been the most challenging part about being a new dad? Uh, there's a lot of challenging parts. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, uh, 
I think the actually the most challenging is um, uh, utilizing our time effectively and trying to um, trying to make sure that we get our personal stuff done. Like we we, we take care of ourselves. When I say ourselves, like my wife and I. Um, but like uh, making sure we work out, we eat healthy, we stay active, we see our friends, but also making sure that we're doing stuff with, you know, our, our child, right? Doing stuff as a family. And then that's really hard to have a balance. Um, so I, that's probably been the most challenging is just trying to figure out like what works well, what doesn't, and how do we kind of fit it all in. Hmm. What's been the most rewarding part? You know, it's, it's really cool when you see like new stages of your child, like whether it's walking, crawling, um, talking, eating, uh, just like, it's really cool when you go out to dinner and like, he does really well. Like he eats all his food, like he's having a great time. Like he's, he's a little flirt. So he'll like flirt with a waitress, right? <laughs> like you see all that stuff. He's just like having a great time. Like that's the most rewarding. Like we just, you just get this, like such a great feeling, uh, from that. That's, that's probably the most exciting. Hmm. Has anything, um, like changed about how you, how you see love or feel love or give love since having a child? Yeah, you realize like it's it's actually I was just thinking about this the other day. Um like your love grows for this child. Like and it, it, it's kind of crazy because at first like you have the baby, right? And you know, you love the baby, but the baby does like doesn't do anything. Has, you know, there's no personality <laughs> there, right? Like he's sure. just sleeping, eating, pooping. Like that is it. Uh, and then as the as the child continues to grow, the personality comes out and it's like the love for the, for your child continues to grow. And, you know, in talking with people, they say it just continues to grow exponentially. Uh, so that's been pretty cool, um, to experience. Um, I think I'd say that's probably the biggest change. Hmm. Last question about, about this specific topic, but what has you, as your, as your son gets older, what are you most worried about? Oh man, that we, we could go on forever about that. I mean, you, you worry every day, you know, like right now, I think the one thing that we always see, right. That just probably in the headlines is like, it's kind of depressing that these school shootings, mm -hmm. you know, it's like the, especially like when you see like a little, you know, children, elementary school or kindergarten kids getting, getting killed like that really, um, it really just, it hits you hard and your mm -hmm. stomach just tightens up and it just, it really affects you. Um, I'd say like, that's obviously really nerve wracking, just given all the events that have happened as of late. Yeah. How are you trying to think about that or deal with that? Or, or I don't know. I don't even know. Yeah. I don't, I don't really know either. I mean, I think you just, you know, there's, there's really not a lot you can do. Um, I think, but yeah, it, it, that's, I think that's the toughest part, right? Is that's something that you cannot control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's scary and very uncertain. Yeah. <clears throat> um, anyways, to just make a, not a very good segue into <laughs> our next topic, but, um, yeah, I want to talk about like your, that was obviously that's currently happening in your life, but, um, 
How was your transition outside uh, from South Dakota State, basically not playing baseball anymore, into the real world? Was that a hard transition for you? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think like, yeah, I mean, I think everybody has this goal, right, of, of trying to play professional uh, professional athletics, right? Everybody wants to be a big league baseball player. I think we're all kind of understanding that, like, hey, this is probably not going to happen. So when it ends, it's kind of a shock, no matter what. Like, you, your identity growing up is being a baseball player, right? That's probably mm-hmm. what people identified you as in high school, right? You're a star baseball player. Um, and so when that stops, your identity completely shifts. So when I stopped playing baseball, uh, I got my MBA from San Jose State. It was an accelerated program, very intense. It was full-time. Um, that was great because, like, you know, you, I could basically shift um, that. We talked about the work ethic, right, from practicing baseball to, you know, trying to accomplish, like, finish this program uh, and do my best. And then after that, I went into um, wealth management at Morgan Stanley. And uh, not that, I mean, the job's hard, any job's hard, but um, it, it's definitely harder when you first start because you got to build a business from scratch. And it, it's really long hours where you have, you have to put in long hours to make it. Um, and so I was, you know, I was putting in like anywhere from 12 to 14 hours a day, sometimes even more. Um, so I was able to kind of shift the, the objective from trying to be the best baseball player to trying to make it in this business world. And so I think that definitely helped with the transition. So I could take my focus from one and just shift it over. Um, and I think, you know, obviously there's kind of some, some bumps in the road because you still identify as a baseball player and, you, you know, you still think you're an athlete. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, it's a different you're, – you're kind of a, at a different phase of life. So it's a little t- tough, but I think overall the trans- transition went pretty smoothly, especially when you – you know, you probably talk to people, Aaron, where even now, right, they probably still talk about their high school days and, and playing, like, high school sports and the game that they did really well in. It's like – you know, you can't, I, I, I'm like, I don't even remember that anymore because it just seems so long ago. And it's just, yeah, it was a great phase of life, but you know, we're, we, I've turned the page. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. I've had a lot of those conversations with, yeah, well, we won't name any names, but yeah, it just happens. Right. But when you, when you like the majority of people that I talk to who move past and played at a collegiate level, don't talk about how they did in high school. And if they did any sort of substantial, like anything, like in college, they don't even talk about college anymore. They just like sort of brush past it. Like, yeah, I, I played college baseball. Like it never, we never force feed it into the conversation because it just like is a natural part of our life. Like it's what we tried to do. We did it and now we moved on and we've transitioned. You know, those that are stuck in the, in the past, but trying to relive the glory days, it's tough because maybe that was the, that was the peak of their, of their life. And that's, that's tough to think about that in high school, that was the peak of your life because, you know, now I'm 30 years old and just everything seems to be going in a great direction. Like this is the best part of, of my life, but every phase of my life, I've always said that except in high school, I did not enjoy high school. Um, (laughs) Not even a second. Um, (laughs) So, but everything changed after South Dakota state, you know? Um, And so, yeah, it's just interesting to think about that and, and people and how they frame those sort of glory days. But, um, did you have any, uh, any hard or bitter or resentful feelings towards the game of baseball or have you always just appreciated what it gave to you? You know, maybe at first when, when I was done, like, 
don't know, you put so much effort into something and it just stops immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're thinking like, gosh, that's it. Um, but I wouldn't say there's any like bitter or hard feelings. Hmm. Yeah. I can't say the same. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, there was for me for a bit, but like, I didn't even think about him cause I just stopped playing baseball and became a professional wrestler. So that was like an, an easier transition because I just identified as a pro wrestler instead of as a baseball player. Right. But then when, when all that happened and I couldn't wrestle anymore and I changed jobs and doing all the stuff I'm doing now, then I had to think about it a little bit more and what it meant to me and got a little more reflective. And then I started thinking about you and that's where I came up with some of these questions about how you guys have treated me and why I loved baseball and why I stopped watching it for a long time. And, and now I'm coaching again and, and the game is beautiful and I love it, but it took me a awesome. while to get there. Yeah. yeah giving back. That's great. Yeah, I'm trying to. But anyways, did you um, – let's talk about what you're currently doing. So you work for Morgan Stanley, your financial advisor, right? Yep. That's right. So what, uh, is, what does that actually mean? Good question. Um, you know, everyone has a different – probably a different opinion on what they're – what a financial advisor does. I mean, it, I'll just give you kind of just the background. Um, I work with mainly technology executives uh, in Silicon Valley. And helping them with managing their money, uh, developing a financial plan, kind of a roadmap for their assets, managing their balance sheet, um, helping them with estate planning strategies, helping them with lending solutions, uh, risk management, which is really important and a hot topic these days. That can mean a lot of things, whether it's litigation risk, whether it's cyber risk, um, and ultimately trying to be kind of like their CFO for their own personal lives. Um, and that's ultimately the goal. And obviously you're not that CFO for every client. Like some people want you just style box for a particular, um, you know, item, whether it's just managing money, whether it's just helping with, you know, a certain task. Um, but I, I would say the best relationships are, are ones where, you know, the, we are fully ingrained within their financial lives and we can help them out basically with anything that has a dollar sign associated with it. Have, was the goal always to work in this space with like executives in this area or was there a different path that you wanted to be on? Uh, you know, going into it, I actually had no idea like what the job was about. Like I thought it was just sit there and just buy, buy and sell stocks all day for clients. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and you realize like, well, that's not actually what the job is. Like 90, at, at least at first and even now, like 95% of the job is um, really sales, like trying to get new clients and develop relationships. And it's a relationship business. It's a trust business. You have to trust someone to, um, to have them manage your money. Um, and so that takes a lot of effort um, to build that trust. Um, obviously managing money and making money is really important. That's like the main objective. Um, but in order to do that, you have to build trust with a particular person or, or family. And so, um, you know, I, I didn't really know about that. I didn't think about that going into the job. Um, but I, I think I quickly realized that and where I live, yeah, I mean, you have to go where the money is right. And in anywhere you live, right. So in Texas it's probably oil money, right? Oil executives. Um, and the Bay Area, it's tech executives. And so that's where the money is. So that's who you want to talk to. Like, do you want to 
manage a lot of money, you got to talk to the tech executives because that's who's moving the dial and that's where the money's going. Um, so I think over time, I definitely realized that was the that was kind of going to be the niche of who to go after. And then you just started reaching out and trying to build relationships through um, what phone calls, emails, yeah, connections, calls. things of that nature. Yeah, yeah, did it all. The other thing, I mean, I'm we're pretty lucky in the office that I'm in. Um, uh, there's some of the teams managed some of they manage the the stock programs for these companies. So like, yeah, big big tech companies in the valley will have their um, stock programs run through Morgan Stanley. So all the stocks for the employees gets deposited to a Morgan Stanley account. And then that was an opportunity to help them. So they would call in to place trades. They'd call in because they needed help with their account. And that was just an opportunity to pick up the phone and, and just help them and try to create a relationship. So that was definitely, um, uh, I think, a big advantage versus just cold calling. Like it's, it's still cold call today. And I still send out emails today, but but it's, it's hard, right? Like not too many pe people pick up the phone. They don't listen to their voicemails or they don't even have a voicemail established. So that, that can be challenging. So you're, um, so that I think starting out was a huge advantage for me. Hmm. <clears throat> How long did it take you to, to sort of build up your clientele where you didn't have to keep working these sort of 12 to 16 hour days? Probably I'd say just recently. Um, oh really? Yeah. It took me a long time. And now it depends on, on, you know, if you looked at my, the metrics, you, you could argue that I could have stopped or slowed down earlier. Um, but I think there was just a lot of opportunity. Um, I still work a decent amount, um, not over 12 hours. Cause I just, I don't have the ability to do that, but, um, I'd say probably just up until, but, uh, probably two years ago. So call it nine years into the businesses, how long it took me. Well, I mean, it, it just relays back to my original point about your mentality and your work ethic, right? Even when things are going well and you're doing well, you're not going to change how you do things that got you to the place that you're doing well at, right? I've worked really hard to get here. So I have to work really hard to stay here. And then there's sort of like this give and take about what's important. Now I have a kid and a wife and I have to also be able to take care of myself and have this sort of harmony in my life where I can do different things. But I still, while I'm doing the job for the 10 hours that I'm doing the job, I'm going to be the Alex Oberly that I've always been, which is like, get it done. And so um, it's interesting because uh, I, I just think about that a lot and like what the thing that got you there is not always the thing that's going to sustain you for the long period of time because working 16 hour days is not sustainable over a long period of time. It might be sustainable in your like twenties for a little bit. And I think some people do need to have that idea about work ethic. Like you have to, you have to, this is the only way to get it done. But then how do you tailor it off and sort of tweak it a little bit where it can be sustainable for a long period of time where you can do this into your sixties if you want and still have a family and a life and go on vacations and, and things of that nature. That's the, I think one of the big advantages of our, our businesses. Um, we can we can do this for a long time. Like if you're a tech executive, right, or if you work in business, you work for a corporation, right. Your whole goal is to move up the corporate ladder, and the more you move up, the more responsibility you have, and the longer you work, the harder you work in some cases, um, and the more pressure there is. 
And of course, the most, you know, that they say the prime working years are like 50 to 60, right? So that's later on in life. Um, and that's where you have the most responsibility. Um, and that's, I think that's challenging. Whereas in our world, we can kind of control that. I, mean, I, I can continue to work hard if I want to, but I don't have to. Um, and you can control kind of the, the amount that you work, um, you know, for however long you want. So there's a lot of people in our job that will work till they're 65, 70, and, but they just control it, right? They still go on vacations. They'll take time off. They'll go to Europe for two or three weeks or a month. Um, and I think what's really important too, and this is one of the things that I kind of struggle with at times, I've gotten a lot better, but is enabling other people to help you. Right. And, mm -hmm. and kind of building a team around you. Um, and I think that's really important too, is trying to get other people, um, kind of on the same, within the same mission, the same goals and really, uh, help just allowing them also, uh, more autonomy to, and responsibility so that you don't have to work as hard. Mm. So you have a team with you now before it was just individual. Yeah. It was just me basically I had some help, some administrative help, but now there's other advisors. There's, um, there's other support staff to, to help, um, and trying to shed more responsibility or give them more responsibility to do stuff instead of having to control everything, which again, some, which for me is, can, can be challenging. Yeah. I understand that. Like delegating tasks, like I, um, had to start doing it with this podcast. And I'm like, like, what if it's not done how I want it to be done and how I've always done it. Um, and then this person doesn't do it right. Or it gets messed up or doesn't get posted at the right. Like you think about all of these things instead of just like, like trying to teach that person the best you can, giving them the space and the responsibility and the ownership to get it done, allowing them to make mistakes like I did the first 112 episodes of this podcast and I'm giving them one episode to get it done or they're out. And it took me three and a half years, right? It's like, give yeah. them the sort of the same grace and like relax a little bit and loosen up the, the grip and, and do the thing you love to do, which is like talk to people or be a financial advisor, whatever the case may be. It's like, it's hard for me to like delegating stuff and because go, it right? seems, yeah, it's like, it's, it's so personal, man. It's like, this is my baby. Like, I, you know, and, but other people have the same, you know, if we have a, sh a shared worthy goal and we share some values together, then, then we can drive, we can drive the bus in the direction together. And I think that's important. So I have the same feeling as you. Yep. Um, but what have you, what have you learned from working with these, uh, these high powered tech executives, anything you see about them that, that makes them the person they are? Yeah. I mean, they're all, uh, type a individuals for the most part. Um, they all, they're extremely intelligent. They enable other people. They delegate to delegate tasks really well. Um, they're visionaries. I think that's what's important is they combine both, whether it's the engineering or creative side with the business side of things, they're really unique individuals. Um, they can make decisions quickly. Uh, and I think that's probably one of the most important things. Like not only do they make big decisions for their company quickly, but they make big decisions on their personal life or their personal financial life very quickly. So they can take all the information that you presented to them. 
they can gather it and then make a decision. Uh, and they also rely on us, me, to make the best decision. So as long as I come with the the information to back it up, they'll they'll tend to agree and, and move forward. Whereas a lot of people they struggle with that, right? Because they're whether it's trying to maximize every dollar they make or they're trying to overanalyze everything. You know, uh, CEOs and, and leaders they they make decisions quickly. I think that's really unique. It's it's interesting to see just the the difference um, in those types of people. Mm. Are you are you just every day studying sort of the financial trends and where you think things might go and stuff like that, or how are you analyzing that material? It's hard because trying to predict what's going to happen is really difficult. There are people that do that's all they do is they try to you know they're they're making projections. They're analysts, and their job is to try to you know, make a projection on what's going to happen in your term and long term. And if you just look at these analysts and these re researchers, they're wrong more often than they're right. And that's because there's a lot of factors that you can't control. Um, and so I think what I've tried to do is look at the long term data and say, okay, here's the statistics. It's like, I always compare it to baseball and pitching, right? Like, for example, if you're a pitcher, Right. What you need to do is you need to throw strikes, right? If you throw strikes there, you, there's a good probability that person, the hitter is going to get themselves out, mm -hmm. but you have to throw strikes. If you don't throw strikes, you don't have a chance. And so with investing, if you don't invest your money, you don't have a chance. If you're not in the market, you don't have a chance to make money, but more mm -hmm. often than not, the market goes up. So 75% of the time, the market ends the year higher than when it started. But everybody wants to focus on the 25% where it's gone down. Mm -hmm. So I think when you look at the long-term trends, getting invested and staying invested is really important. Um, and so I obviously look at this, like all the information on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, it's economic data that comes out daily. I mean, it's you're inundated with information. That's, a lot of it's imperfect because they're trying to look at you know things that happened last month. And trying to gather all that data to come up with a statistic is really difficult. Um, and, and when I, sh I should say an accurate statistic. So you kind of have to take all of it with a grain of salt. Um, you, you, what you try to do is take all that information and say, okay, based on uh, the information that we have today, here's the best decision. Here's the best way we should be managing our money. Hmm. How has this job impacted the way that you think about your own personal finances? Um, that's a good question. I think just making sure I say we save and invest more at an early age, because that's, mm -hmm. that's, if you, the, the earlier you start, the better, right? I mean, like, that's pretty obvious. You start investing early, the more money you're going to have later on. Um, and so I think it's just, just making sure doing, you're doing all the right things. The other thing too, is more from a, it's actually not more about investing, but more about, um, all of the other things that are involved, like estate planning, like, you know, making sure you have all of your, the correct, you know, stuff, things in order and things in place. If the unexpected were to happen, um, thinking more about like litigation risk as you see everything, right? Like all the downsides of things happening, like all the bad scenarios. So you're like, I constantly think about like risk management <laughs> within, <laughs> within our personal life, um, which is good and bad. But, um, 
I think that's probably the biggest impact. Hmm. All right. Last question. Then I'll let you go. Cause I know you got to go to work. Um, if a person wants to just start becoming more financially literate, what's a good place to start in your, uh, with your expertise? Read the Wall Street Journal. Read it every day. Yeah. Yeah. That's the best place to start. Why Wall Street Journal? Uh, because you get, you, you get, uh, market information, you get uh, company specific information, you get world news, US news, um, there's political information, political um, news, there's uh, economic news. And I think if you read that, um, you'll get a good idea of kind of what's going on in the world. Awesome. Well, thanks, Alex. Appreciate the conversation. Thank you for tuning in to that episode with Alex Oberly. I love Alex, and I'm so glad we got a chance to catch up and hear some of his insights on mental toughness, on being a dad, and being a financial advisor. So if you enjoyed that episode, please share with a friend, because the podcast grows from people like you sharing it with people like you. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review on Spotify or Apple. It really does help the show get in front of new eyes, new listeners, and new viewers. But the absolute best way to support this podcast is through Patreon. Patreon.com slash Aaron Mashbits directly supports me, this podcast, and my mental health nonprofit, You Are Loved. So click the link in the show notes and check out which tier might work best for you. But most importantly, above all else, please, please take good care of yourself and others. And I'll see you next time. Lots of love. Cheers.